0: You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. Today we have a special guest, Josh Davidson. He's the Senior Vice President of Operations at Always Legit. What is Always Legit? Always Legit specializes in curating and managing investment-grade sneaker portfolios for high net worth investors. Excited to talk to you today, Josh. Thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about sneakers and why they're an asset class and why you should invest into the sneaker market.
0: Love to hear. That's like magic to my ears, man. I love to hear that. Like, okay, let's just let's just dive in here. So tell me, how did Always Legit come about? And then there's so many questions I have around your journey with the company, what you're up to right now, the idea of sneakers as an asset class. I know if for you and me, that's probably something that we consider obvious or we believe in, but I know not the whole world feels that way. So how about we start off by just you describing what Always Legit is and the, the founding story of like the company?
1: Yeah, so to put it simply, Always Legit is an investment platform for high net with investors to invest into sneakers in. So we have separately managed accounts where we make a make a portfolio just for you based on, you know, your liquidity and based on how much you want to invest and your kind of risk tolerance. We tailor accounts to invest in sneakers. So we invest into sneakers from as little as $200 to sneakers worth, you know, $30,000. So really, you know, the full spectrum of what sneakers can be worth. And yeah, so we're really, always legit. We, you know, really pride ourselves on, you know, data, right? So a lot of this is, it's not just the culture, but it's also the data. So we have data backing, obviously, our sneaker picks, and then past that, we also have the culture, right? We're on the front lines, you know, looking at the latest trends, looking at what's selling, what's hot, what's going to be hot next year, and really investing into those sneakers.
0: There's so much exciting stuff I want to talk to you about this. Okay, so let's say, hypothetically, I come to you, I'm I'm a high net worth individual. I would basically just kind of decide based on like a consultation with you and the rest of the team, like, okay, I'm... A high risk kind of person, I'm more like, you know, trying to take it like low risk. I'd like to allocate, let's say, I don't know, is there a minimum like 10K, 100K, 5K, and then just entrust that with you. And then you would hold on to the sneakers and go like, go off and just report to me. Like, how does that work if I was like a potential customer?
1: Yeah, so if you're a potential customer, the first thing we really do is we you book a call, right? So you have a consultation with us. We go over, you know, the questions that I previs- previously said. And then from there, yeah, so the minimum is $10,000 currently. We'll go out, we'll buy $10,000 worth of sneakers for you. Obviously, in sneakers that we see uh, appreciating in price, you know, over the next eight months to a year. And then we hold the sneakers for you. We authenticate it for you, of course. We store it for you. It's fully insured, you know, in our, you know, locked and secure warehouse and, and you know, everything. is It's in a climate-controlled room, everything like that, you know, super secure. And then from there, you kind of sit back as an investor and kind of, you know, watch your, watch your, account grow as the price appreciates. So really for our investors, we typically like to hold the sneakers for about a year and about a year is usually where we see a nice 20 to 25% price appreciation in the sneakers.
0: Okay. So let's say I have entrusted you with like the 10K or whatever over the course of a year, Mm -hmm. then do most people withdraw like the cash amount and, and whatever like return you've gotten on. The back of that, do they like roll over? Is it kind of like an investment like management platform? Like let's say if I was to to have a financial advisor or even, even just like like open up a Robinhood account, I could just kind of close and just take in that, that cash. Like, is that usually what happens?
1: Yeah, so, so far you could take out the cash. So far, no one has. Everyone has just reinvested the profits in it just to like, you know, use compounding, right? Like that's the smartest way to do it. We have had a few investors take out a sneaker to wear, which is kind of surprising, right? You you're wearing kind of your your asset, but hey, I, I like it, right? It's cool to see our investors, you know, wear their sneakers. But yeah, so you can just reinvest the money. You can just tell us, you know, do you want the money to be reinvested when a sneaker sells? Or do you want that cash, you know, back in your account? And we can kind of work from there with, you know, however the investor wants to use their account.
0: No, that's that's interesting about wearing because it makes me think about like the psychology of these people, right? Like is is someone so I mean there are a couple of things here, right? One is if I'm a sophisticated investor to some degree, an accredited investor, if I'm a high net worth individual, maybe I already have a portfolio that is in, you know, stocks and bonds, other investments, whatever that might be. And perhaps I see this as a way to diversify my portfolio. If you're saying like 20%, I know not to wholly to that, but like on average is like the re- like annual return. I could see that being one motivation, being like, okay, that's a pretty solid return versus maybe putting my money in in other options. But another motivation might be, I could still be someone who's a high net worth individual, allocates my money across different investments. But maybe I'm also like a sneakerhead, and maybe I'm a sneakerhead, but not diehard reseller who's you know been doing it for years. But I just appreciate sneakers. I love I love them aesthetically. I follow let's say the latest hype drops and stuff. Those would be in my head what I would assume most of the customers come from in terms of motivation. Is that actually the case? Like what kind of folks are you attracting to the platform?
1: Yeah, so it's actually surprising. We have some investors that know zero about sneakers, could not name a Jordan 1 from a Jordan 11. We have other sneaker, you know, other investors that could name you every single Jordan 1 to ever release by every nickname and probably some that could even name you the style code or the SKU. Um, but really, we our average customer probably doesn't know much about sneakers, but understands that sneakers are an asset class and they have like a a brother, a sister or a son or a daughter or a cousin who resold some sneaker who waited in line at Foot Locker years ago or who, you know, asked for their phone number so they could enter on the Nike sneakers app, you know, to get the latest Travis Scott sneaker and, you know, and buy it for them. But yeah, really, if you know, if you don't know Nike or don't know the brand Jordan, we can, you know, work with you. But we really just kind of pride ourselves on, you know, really education first, right? So we're obviously going to, tell you, you know, how sneakers have been around the Jordan, especially since 1985, you know, sneakers are, have been uncorrelated to other asset classes too, right? That's, that's really kind of the, the good part is that as the macro market, you know, goes down, really sneakers have been pretty, pretty resilient. They've really seen not that big of a drop. in obviously what we're picking, we're not saying, you know, every sneaker has, hasn't dropped, but the sneakers that we've invested into, you know, haven't seen a drop. And obviously most of them have gone up in pricing, you know, even after COVID. Where COVID was such a you know a huge price boom in the sneaker market.
0: That's a really interesting point because I guess you're thinking, or at least one of the things you're just you're thinking about these people if they're talking to you is you know again it's a sort of like sort of opportunity cost game theory here. Like if I am someone who maybe has decades of experience investing in just like the SP500 or like mutual funds, or most of my friends are telling me that's like the obvious thing to do. How do you kind of position sneakers versus? other asset classes when people are talking about this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So that's obviously, you know, like the hard part, right? Like I had to convince or not convince, but, but educate people that sneakers are this real thing. And I think what we really try to say is that how big is the market, right? So the secondary market now, according to Cowan and Co, you know, super good reporting that they did is $10 billion. And I think when you say that number to certain people, they kind of like, you know, twist your head to the side, like 10 billion, like, and would project to go to thirty billion, you know, come twenty thirty. So only in six short years now, with the end of the year coming approaching, you know, it's it's expected to almost triple. I think once you hear that magic ten billion dollar number now, you kind of think, oh, this is like a real thing. This isn't just you know kids reselling, you know, at a basketball gym on a Saturday. There's real institutions investing into this, and as we see, you know, other marketplaces probably go public. In the next two or three years, I think that's even gonna open up the doors to way more people where they're gonna look up probably Google word for word, how do I invest into sneakers? And you know, hopefully always legit, as you know, is the is the first thing to pop up for that.
0: I'm really curious to know like what what how do you define like your investment strategies, right? And I don't know if like this is like proprietary or anything, but for my, you know, knowledge of like resellers and stuff, there you could go after let's say the most hyped releases, which are probably limited quantities, but the highest margin versus, you know, if you get like like sort of buy and hold stuff that you might buy on mass because if someone's giving you 10K, right? Like, I mean, just, just very simple math in my head, you could buy like a small number of shoes with that amount that you think will like be, you know, higher margin in, in the future, or you could buy maybe like a larger amount of shoes that'll be smaller margin, but and obviously there's a lot in the middle there too. What is what are some of the strategies or sort of templates or frameworks that you think about and how you actually do that?
1: Yeah, so part of it is just um, models, probably the biggest, you know, factor when we come to when it comes to buying a sneaker, Like the chance of us investing into a Jordan 17 is probably limited to none, right? It's just not a popular sneaker. The Jordan 17 has never been a sneaker that's, you know, I would doubt if any Jordan 17, you know, on a certain marketplaces is, is above $1,000. But if you look at, for example, look at Jordan 1, you can see this Jordan 1s, you know, worth as much as 10000 you know, $15,000. You know, there's Jordan 4s you know, whether they're PEs or friends of family that are as much as, you know, $40,000. It's really model is, is our first kind of indicator. Colorway is another big indication. Collaboration is obviously another big indication as to whether it's a good sneaker investment or not, like Travis Scott has obviously done very well in the past. The concept lobsters have done really well in the past. So even going to with the concept lobsters, you could see the previous colorways, like the green, the red, the blue. The yellow was a friends and family the white was a was a recent friends and family and now the orange one that just released you could see there okay like if the orange one follows the same trajectory as the purple as the green you know you're you're in you're in in line for a really good price appreciation there's obviously other factors that we that we look at that a little bit proprietary so i can't tell you those numbers exactly or kind of what we look at but you know, sales volume is also another huge thing you know liquidity is obviously one of the biggest factors right you can have a hundred million dollar house but obviously your hundred million dollar house probably not that liquid there's not many people that can afford to buy a hundred million dollar house but you look at a travis scott sneaker that's two thousand dollars i mean it's selling hundreds of times a day you know on the open market which i think a lot of people don't expect when you don't know about sneakers is that that it's not that unheard of for a two thousand dollar sneaker to probably trade 200 times a day and the volume there is just insane. So high liquidity is also something we look at.
0: Dude, this sounds like a very sophisticated strategy where, again, maybe someone who might be super presumptuous about sneakers, like, oh, what, what the hell is that? You just, you know, buy low, like sell high. But clearly you've got a criteria. You've got like proprietary, like thought process, methodology behind all this stuff. And it clearly comes from you knowing what you're talking about. I mean, we, you know, one of the ways when, we, when you and I first met, we talked about how there aren't really that many, as, as far as we're aware, sneaker funds in the world. I think we only could think about one or two others apart from always legit. I know you're not, you're not like a fund right now, which also we'll talk about in a second. But do you think that this is a world where five, ten years from now, there are going to be much more activity of people investing in sneakers as an asset class, which obviously the yeah, other is probably, you know, we both believe yes. And, and what do you think needs to happen in order to get there? Is it just awareness? Is it other elements of I don't know, the, the market becoming more sophisticated.
1: Yeah, I think that we're seeing it right now. Like, um, So I first got into sneakers in 2013 in, in middle school, where I just like every kid, you know, I'm in seventh grade and you know, my parents aren't going to buy me a $100 pair of sneakers. And am like, okay, like I got to hitch a ride to the mall and, you know, see if I can buy these sneakers with some birthday money and some Christmas money. And like, uh, I'll pay you back tomorrow kind of, you know, money, mom. And that's true, that the story is just really like, you know, I bought the sneakers at the mall and I resold them, you know, right outside the mall and saw that this was kind of like a way to make money. But going back to your question, yeah, I think that even for me, like in middle school, I was one of maybe like five kids into sneakers. Come high school, I was one of like, you know, 40 kids into sneakers. In college, you know, obviously college is a much bigger scale, but like, you know, now hundreds of kids are asking me in college, like, oh, like, hey, Josh, can you get me this sneaker, this sneaker, this sneaker? Now I'm getting messages from it, used to be just my friends. Now it's my uncles asking me, my aunts asking me. And I think the the cool part is like when aunt, you know, Uncle Mike and you know, aunt, you know, whoever started asking about sneakers, I'm like, okay, this market is keeps on growing. It's very easy for us to be jaded, you know, in the market. But when I see my neighbor who's seven years old, ask me, Oh, Josh, can you get me these Nike Air Force Tiffany's? I'm like, oh, like the market is it's growing. Like a seven-year-old woman is asking me if I can get her $1,000 sneakers, right? So, and she wants to wear them. I got her another pair of sneakers instead and she wears them out and she gets compliments on them. So I think that the market is growing and it's not really education. It's just like that the coolness factor is going to keep on growing even more and more and everyone wants to be hip and young. And I think that the sneaker market, you know, isn't going anywhere anytime soon.
0: I totally agree with you on that. Like I'm very bullish on sneakers. And of course, I believe that that's also the case. Uh, And I think, you know, very much see that growing in terms of interest and popularity. So this is such an interesting opportunity that the Always Legit team is, you know, like latched onto. And I really admire that this is a very, like, forward-thinking thing to do. What is, like, the founding story of the company? How did you and the other members of the team, like, come together? How did this idea come about? Like, what was the inception of Always Legit?
1: Yeah, so I met, so Howie and JJ are the two the two founders, the father and son team. So I met JJ, the, the younger kid who's 19, I'm, I'm 24, I met him at a sneaker event probably was this? It's seven years ago now. And I saw, you know, father and son there kind of struggle with conversation. He bought some sneakers from me, we would buy and sell the sneakers back and forth. I'm sure he probably made money, you know, from the sneakers that I sold them. And I also made money from the sneakers I sold them too. And then really we kind of came together in 2019. We did some other sneaker stuff, you know, just like little stuff um buying and selling sneakers and kind of really you know understand the market but this idea of you know separate managed accounts and you know truly treating sneakers as an asset class is around 18 months old now and we just kind of came together and said you know instead of raising another fund which was Howie the founder was our co-founder was going to do he said no, the this other funds this this sneaker market is is beating funds right it's it's this market that's ever growing and there's just no Professionalism or very, very little professionalism in the sneaker market right now. Where, like, if you go to a sneaker event, there's just so much room for, for growth. And even there's so much arbitrage opportunities. Like, you'll see a sneaker for, a, for let's say, like a, a Jordan 1 trophy room, right? There's, you could buy it online for maybe 400 bucks. And then you could buy it from a person for 330. And you could buy, it, you could sell it at a consignment store for 600. And if someone needs it for tomorrow, you could sell it for a thousand dollars, right? So right there, unlike other commodities, there's so much room for 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 growth. there's so much room to make money, and there's no one doing it professionally that's saying, "Hey, you need to know nothing about sneakers, and I can you know help you out in this market
0: yeah and that's that's a really interesting point there about like the arbitrage opportunities, which I think most people don't realize like I think if you're like what you just described about the Difference with a consignment store versus needing it tomorrow versus stockx versus like a sneaker show. That's like massive. That is is enough to start a business based on that. So the way you operate right now is through separately managed accounts, right? Not a fund. So can you just explain like what that means exactly? And is that gonna change in the future? Like I know we talked about in the past, like other regulations that could make uh sneaker funds possible if you have like the financial license. I I know we've seen fractionalized investment in other companies like of course you got like rally otis rares which i think recently shut down was kind of like a fractional sneaker investment company could you maybe like distinguish between those three things right like how would a sneaker fund work and is that something that's what you're going to be doing soon how do separately managed accounts work and then maybe even just touching on how fractionalization is different and what's the approach that you've taken as always legit and how could that change in the future Or like the pros and cons of those differences
1: yeah, so for the separate managed accounts, which is what we we currently do, the really the good part there is that you have kind of full say, you know, in what we buy when we sell it. We're obviously going to give you, you know huge, you know, kind of points or you know huge, you know, says or whatever you want to call it. As uh, so when we when we think we should sell it, when you know our data is, is telling us that this is a perfect time to sell, this is a perfect time to buy, and you could be an investor can be you know as intuitive as they want. They could say, you know, only text me when there's a sale or only notify me there's a sale or hey, just give me like a monthly quarterly updates. You know, it's kind of how we, we operate now It ends up being that we probably talk to every investor once a month, kind of say, kind of talk about the overall market, talk about if there's any sales in their account. But also like, you know, we're not we're not well, there's a difference between sneaker resellers and sneaker investors. Right. So we're in the buy and hold strategy. So you know, when we're buying, we're not looking for these ridiculous steals. We're not, you know, buying a $800 stinker for $400, right? We're buying, we're paying the, the market pricing, but what the capital allows us to do is that it's patient capital, right? So we are allowed to, you know, pay our, the secondary pricing that everyone's kind of dictated is the pricing and our model is showing us that this shoe, you know, should go up X percent in the next year, or eight months or whatever. So it's very easy. It's easier. I like to say that it's, it's easier for us to buy a hundred pairs the secondary pricing than is for us to buy one sneaker at retail or even one sneaker, one sneaker for a steal.
0: Got it. No, this makes this makes a lot of sense. And and do you think there's a future where like a sneaker fund that like several people can invest into makes sense for, for you? Is that something that like is on the roadmap? Is it maybe the economics aren't as good? Like what's the difference there?
1: Yeah, so for a sneaker fund, we probably do something called a Reg A or a Reg CF, where it allow, you know, non-accredited investors to invest into sneakers. And that's really, I know, where we kind of see ourselves in probably Q2 of next year, where, you know, if you aren't accredited and you don't have the $10,000, we obviously realize you know, $10,000 is a lot of money. And people, you know, have to make a huge decision when it comes to, you know, where to put their hard earned money. So, the, you know, our next year when we do, you know, kind of a fund, we'll do a fund here and probably a fund overseas, too. Um, the, the good part is you can invest, you know, for as little as, you know, less than $10,000. I want to give us given is it, that number of less than $10,000, that's more reasonable It's you know, like an everyday kind of, you know, sneaker event kid who's walking around or a mom and dad, you know, who just want to dip their toes in kind of see, understand the market a little bit more and then can put money in, you know, later, but yeah, definitely a fund is, is in the works and, you know, we'll, we'll be super excited when that is fully launched.
0: And, and maybe like. And it's sort of another way of allocating capital to sneakers. We've seen, like, to talk, touch on fractional stuff very briefly, like, you know, we, we talked about a little while ago about, you know, the world's of like Rally, Otis, Rares, and even see things like, you know, Masterworks, which is talking about like investing in, in art. Do you, do you think that, and also, also, I mean, just the caveat there too, that industry or a subcategory like fractionals has been, through some challenges in the last few months, last year. Is that something you'd be interested in as well? Or do you think like, what the way you're approaching the market, because I think Just taking a step back, anyone who's looking at, if I'm someone listening to this podcast as someone of fairly casual, but I'm interested, I've heard that sneakers are a good investment perhaps. And I'm thinking to myself, what are the options? You know, maybe these are three options people are thinking about like, oh, well, if I wish I could invest into a sneaker fund, or if if there's a separate managed account that I could be a part of, or I hear about these fractional companies, is that a good thing for me to do as well? What's your take on like the fractional market as applied to sneakers? Yes, yeah, so
1: when it comes to flatulization, it's obviously a little bit harder because the sneaker that you're buying into, you know, you're not exactly sure on on how well you know the market, right? Like if you're just buying uh, a sneaker just because it was game-worn by Michael Jordan, you know, there's there's a debatable, you know, you know, a debate you can make as to is the sneaker actually going to go up in value. With us, it's, you know, there's, there's kind of real data to suggest that we look at, you know, that that shows that the sneakers should go up in value. For the fractionalization, I just think it's kind of less hands-off and for us, it's super hands-on, right? We're, we're talking to you for, if you want to, hours, you know, as to you know, our reasoning behind this. With fractionalization, it obviously opens up the door to way more people. So it's something we're gonna look at, but for, for, that, for the fractionalization for us, we're gonna approach it a completely different way. We're gonna make it you know, kind of more fun to invest into, way more data-driven, you know, with proper management report and why this is a good investment. As opposed to just buy the sneaker just because it's a a Jordan One that's you know one out of ten or something like that.
0: This is really interesting. I mean, like clearly you Howie and JJ like coming together have the expertise in the sneaker world here. But you know, sometimes when I talk to people about we're in sneakers, sometimes the conversation very naturally also extends things like like streetwear, for example, or like other like high valuable like high value collectibles and things like that. Is that something that let's say and and it's it's interesting. Sometimes I talk to people about. How dramatically different, let's say, streetwear is from sneakers or some other people kind of intermix them. Is that something that maybe you want to expand to or in the future other cultural assets or is, is sneakers just the focus for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's sneakers for now. And in the future, we'll probably move to luxury watches and Birkenbads and other collectibles. Obviously, sneakers, you know, is what we know best and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of start there and really probably we probably see you know the the sneaker market tapping out what always legit probably has you know 75 million dollars for the sneakers around there's kind of where we see you know the market kind of tapping out we will we'll be the biggest sneaker collection and you know that'll be kind of a really good you know goal for us in the next few years but yeah definitely there's i mean there's so many collectibles right and so many things that have value and appreciate and value yeah, so definitely watches and Birkin bags and other collectibles are kind of in the foreseeable future for always for legit.
0: That's so exciting. I think, you know, everything you say to me, like just like sounds like exactly the world that I think is gonna happen. But I can imagine, of course, when you're talking day to day to more traditional folks, this is, this is still kind of, I think I told you, you know, earlier that I, I messaged someone recently at a fairly big company about sneakers as an asset class, and they replied to me with like a lot of skepticism. How do you deal with that? Because I know that some people probably if they naturally select and come to you, then they are open-minded about sneakers as an asset class. But there's a sort of bigger picture here where if you want to get more customers and more high net worth individuals taking this seriously, it's a mixture, of, I guess, like offense and defense, right? Like on the offense section, maybe you're creating content and educating people. Maybe on defense as well, like if if people are reaching out, if people you talk to, you're, I guess you're maybe you're pitching them or they're just skeptical, like what are the most convincing maybe arguments that you've found when it comes to talking to people that are skeptical or don't understand off the bat why sneakers are a valuable asset class?
1: Yeah, great question. It's obviously, that's the most difficult part, right? Is is convincing, hey, mom and dad, right? Like give me 50 grand, you know, to invest in sneakers with. I think our biggest kind of, you know, argument for that this first, just the value, right? So, ten billion dollars, right? So that number for the financial space is is a is a big enough number. It's a huge number. Where you're saying, oh, this is this is a real thing. This this is like a uh, an actual emerging asset class. Um, and then I think also just when we talk to some older people too, they look back at, oh, like, well, yeah, I guess like I did want the Jordans in 1985, and oh, like this Jordan that we've actually had one investor who didn't know that he had one of the Chicago ones from 1985 just in his house sitting there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like, that's actually worth like a lot of money. It's 30 grand, 40 grand, depending on the condition. Um, So I think that when we talk to investors and they kind of look back at it or potential investors and they kind of look back at it, they realize that, oh, wow, this has been a fad, quote unquote, right, for for since for 40 years now. And it's transcended Michael Jordan, right? I, I was born in 1999, so I never saw Michael Jordan play. Maybe I did when I was, you know, my eyes were barely even open. I was in my mom's lap, you know, <laughs> drinking apple juice. But when you look back it, has been around for years and fashion has been a thing for, for years now too, right? Where everyone wants to wear the latest and greatest, coolest clothes. And with sneakers, it's a hard asset where they're not going to make more, you know, original Travis Scott sneakers. They're not going to make more orange lobsters, they are not going to make more sneakers, M- really most sneakers, they're not going to make more of. So it's an asset where it's, as more people also wear the sneaker too, right? The, the pair DS is going to go down. So it's simply, you know, supply and demand. As more pairs leave the market that are brand new, you know, less pairs in the market. And as more and more kids grow up and more older people realize that they do want to be a part of the sneaker market, they're going to rush after the Paris SPS. They're going to rush after the Nike Air Max. They're going to rush rush after the first Travis Scott sneaker, and that's just going to shoot the price to the moon.
0: I completely agree. And like the overall size of the market's been growing nonstop. The cultural relevance of sneakers has been growing nonstop, partially, you know, due to factors that are related to maybe even also just access to things through things like StockX. I, I'd be really curious to know as well, is there a type of, and I'm sure you have like a mixture of investors and stuff, but is there like a certain where it's like, oh, it's generally 90% of our customers are male professionals who also work in the fashion industry. So it's like this crossover where they understand it, but they're like C-suite executives in fashion. Is there like a, a a type of person that like over-selects in terms of being your customer? Or is it like a like a massively diverse mix? Like who are the kind of folks like to narrow down a bit that are like coming to you?
1: Yeah, I think you'd be surprised. Like we have some investors who their background is in defense contracts. We have investors who their background is in one of our investors actually like owns a bunch of like obstacle courses. That's his background. We have investors who invest into you know commodities, and they're trading gold, or they're stockbrokers, or they're doctors. It's it's really pretty diverse. Something we have noticed, obviously, is um there's a lot of father and son teams and daughter or daughter and and um and mom um kind of teams. So like a father and son will kind of come to us, and obviously the dad is the one you know using his his finances. But it's a good way. It's a passion investing, right? It's something that you can kind of at the same time teach your son about, you know, investing and through that, in a, in the sneakers, you know, this emerging asset class and also, you know, for some of our investors, you know, this, their sneaker portfolio is going to be like their college, their, their fund for their, you know, their, for their son for college, where it's, you know, it's probably the most fun investing you can have because not that you know your 401k is boring, but your 401k is kind of boring, right? It's just like it's it's not that fun to invest into. But investing into the latest Travis Scott sneaker is more passion investing. And as we've seen in the past years, you know, passion investing, you know, with apps like Robinhood, you know, have 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 skyrocketed, right? People want to be super involved in investing, and less and less people, you know, my age, are investing into kind of boring stuff. They want to invest into the passion stuff where. We kind of really see sneakers as a collectible, right? So in your man cave or in your your woman cave, whatever, you know, you're going to have your Tom Brady jersey. If you're a Tom Brady fan, maybe you're not, or Eli Manning, I'll say. So we, we cover both people. Um, right next to that signed jersey is going to be, you know, a collectible sneaker. It's going to be a Jordan 1 trophy Hero. It's going to be an orange lobster. It's going to be, you know, every Travis 1 Jordan high, you know, all next to each other. Because that's what's cool. That's what's, going to start a conversation even for a lot of our investors you know they the golf course conversation was about you know bonds and stocks and you know cd accounts and now they're talking about sneakers right some of them even like the travis scott golf sneaker I'll, I'll show on camera real quick yeah. <laughs> like this is a sneaker now where some of our investors are wearing this on the course and the conversation now is oh you're into sneakers like what is what is this about and before if you invested into Visa, it's okay. I put hundred grand into Visa and I expect this kind of return, or I put hundred grand into S and P and I expect this return. Seekers just open the door for a conversation. I think a lot of it too is is like we said, the education and just like, oh wow, this is like a real asset, and you know, people love to talk. About it. People talk to us about Seekers for hours.
0: This is amazing, man. Like, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I'm interested to know, where did your passion for sneakers come from? Like, I mean, you mentioned when you were 13, I, I think you, you got into it. Do you have, since, you know, being in the sneaker game for so many years now, do you have like certain Grail sneakers or ones that mean a lot to you? And maybe it's ones that are super valuable. or Maybe it's personal connection to you because I don't know, like a family thing or something. What if, if I were to just meet you and ask what your personal like collection and your own favorite Grail sneakers, what are they?
1: Yeah, so um, I started, I think at 13, so seventh or eighth grade, I think that's around 13. I asked my parents, I think it was the Jordan Fire Red 5 back in 2013. I asked my parents for that. Retail was probably 160 back then. I forget what, what retail was. And the, the rule back then was I couldn't spend more than $100 on a pair of sneakers. So I was decently above, you know, the, the budget. And I, I guess I hitched right to the mall, bought the sneakers, and I think I got offered like 220 for them right outside the door. I'm like, oh, I can make money doing this. So that's probably a sneaker that I should go out and, and buy again, the one from 2013, just to you know kind of have it like, you know, above my desk, probably just has like a, oh, this is where it all started from. Yeah, there's definitely girls that still have like a Paris SB, still a sneaker that I want. There's like a Jordan 1 UNCPE. It's a, that's a girl that I still want. There's like Wu-Tang Dunks that I want still, you know, Dr. Doom Dunks I still want. What else? There's, there's so many, there's, there's, I don't think there's enough money in the world for me to have all the sneakers that i want but yeah i think it's it's that's
0: so that's how it started and what was what was your other question well just i guess how do you approach a person like if i if, presumably you know if i were to just meet you and knowing what you do i would think oh damn this guy probably has like ten thousand sneakers and maybe he buys like just for his own personal collection like a new one every day is that the case or are you kind of you know i mean you spend your time investing in sneakers but from a personal perspective is that similar to the like the way you approach like building a collection
1: Yeah, so for my personal collection, very, very, very tiny. It's probably under 10 sneakers or probably under 15 sneakers. And most of them were, you know, were gifts or, you know, bought for me. And the, the reason for that is partly I'm, 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 jaded, obviously to the market Part of that too, is that if I wear a sneaker, it loses its value and I don't like losing money. So, so I, will more invest into sneakers rather than wear the sneakers, but yeah, I still have, you know, some Travis Scott sneakers that I wear and it's obviously a conversation started, like we said before. Right. But yeah, the sneaker collection for me personally, it, it's small, it'll, it'll grow as the years come along as, as I can say, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll wear this and I'll stop investing. And for, for once, I'll just buy a sneaker just for me personally.
0: So you, you've been involved in sneakers for a long time, and you've probably seen a lot of changes to sneakers. I think one thing that we've been talking about is overall growth, interest, volume has increased, the size of the market, sec- we're talking about like, you know, resale has increased. What are some of the biggest things you've noticed when you know, comparing to going to a sneaker show five years ago versus now? What, what are some of the things that you think about as most impactful? And what are the biggest changes you've seen?
1: yeah so definitely when it comes to sneaker events, just the pure amount of people at sneaker events, and also the demographic has changed a lot um when I was going to sneaker events back in 2013 2014, probably through like 2017, super young, probably not so many people making sneakers their kind of full time job, very much like a side hustle still for a lot of people. The cool thing now is that the friends I had you know from 2013 twenty seventeen you know buying so and selling sneakers with were were hitching rides with our parents you know to get to sneaker events. A lot of them own stores now, which is crazy, right? That they've, you know, kind of, you know, at every level of step up, step up, step up, step up. And, you know, they're some own multiple stores of them. Some of them are now, you know, traveling everywhere to buy and sell sneakers, sneakers, you know, personally for, you know, celebrities and athletes and everything like that. But yeah, I think the biggest change I've really seen, especially in the last two, three years is um, kind of Sotheby's and Christie's, you know, taking a huge kind of leap into the sneaker market where they have auctions all the time now, they have dedicated exhibits, like moving exhibits at Sotheby's in their headquarters in New York, where, you know, you could go down there now. I think actually now they have a sneaker exhibit there for a huge auction they're gonna have. And I think Sotheby's is really looking at it saying, you know, this is the entry to luxury. If you can't afford the million dollar house yet or the Lamborghini yet, you know, sneakers is your gateway to luxury. And the Sotheby's, they're obviously a huge company, right? You know, worth tons of money. If they're making a bet on sneakers, it's definitely to note that, you know, Sotheby's, you know, invest millions of dollars into research and they're, they're showing that sneakers are going to be this gateway to luxury. And, you know, we'll get the kids, kids meaning, you know, young 20s, young 30s, we'll get them in here young into sneakers. And as they progress in life and make more and more money, you know, that'll make investments into art and wine and whiskey and other collectibles, you know, and houses and cars and stuff like that as the years go on. And then also too, a big change has also been just in front of women in sneakers too. It was very much, you know, male focused when I was first into sneakers, you know, back in 2013. And now 10 years later, I see a lot more women, you know, at sneaker events, wanting to buy, buy and sell sneakers, which I think is a beautiful thing, right? You know, everyone should have the opportunity to, you know, buy and sell sneakers. And sneakers are cool to everyone, right? And now my friends that are girls texting me, hey, Josh, can you get me this sneaker and this sneaker? And, it used to be probably more, you know, traditionally girly sneakers, meaning, you know, pinks and purples. And now they want Travis Scott's and everything like that. So I think that, you know, obviously women account for 50% of the world. So as that market dives deep into sneakers too, it's, you know, it's it's good for everyone.
0: I think that's really awesome that there are more women involved in sneakers and maybe trending in the right direction of getting even more than like, maybe that number will increase, percentage will increase two years from now versus now. Do you think that's just coming from like, societal like acceptance or more focus on getting women involved? Uh, is, is that just like a natural progression of the market becoming more mainstream and, and being like less exclusionary? Like, would you be able to attribute it to something?
1: Yeah, I think that um, a big portion of it is just societal acceptance. Like even just like, you know, if you're going out on, on a nightlife, right? Like what you can wear out has changed, right? Like clubs and venues have changed. What is acceptable to wear? I could used to never be able to wear, you know, sneakers to to the club or sneakers to a business meeting. Now we have business meetings that are, you know, outside of sneakers. And I see some guy wearing Jordan Ones, Jordan Fours, Union Jordan Ones, Union Jordan Fours, you know, Nike Dunks. I'm sure part of that too is also, you know, COVID having to do with like a little more relaxed, you know, kind of you know workplace outfits. But yeah, definitely a big portion of it is that, like, wearing a fancy Louis Vuitton loafer. To the office or wearing a fancy, you know, dress shoe out isn't really cool anymore. It's it's more like, oh, that guy's wearing a Jordan One Union. That's and you also know the pricing too, right? So the cool thing with sneakers is you know exactly the status symbol you're kind of showing. Like that's an eighteen hundred dollars sneaker on this marketplace right now, and that guy's wearing it in the club, right? Like that's that's you're cool. Like you're the cool guy at the club. So I think that's that's the biggest portion. Or biggest Another big part I see changing in sneakers is just society allowing sneakers to be worn and even encouraged out at certain events.
0: This is interesting because it makes me think about the Sotheby's point you made. And it makes me think that maybe you could think about the market in three, hugely oversimplifying here, but three segments. And let me know what you think about this. One, you might have like entry level someone who wants to buy sneakers because they think it's cool, but they wouldn't like spend several hundred dollars. So might be like, okay, I'll spend like a hundred, two hundred, maybe pushing it to three because I, these are really cool items. Then you have someone who's let's say willing to spend, let's say category two, 300 plus, maybe up to like a thousand or something like that. Someone who would be probably previously 30 years ago, buying luxury products. Maybe they are buying those expensive like loafers. And now this is like the modern luxury. But then I think about like category three which is like the Sotheby's Christie's crowd, right? Because I, you probably aren't buying hundred-dollar shoes at Sotheby's, right? You're buying these like high-value tens of thousands, something like that, shoes that are collectible that you could probably put on the same sort of podium as as art. Is that is that like? I mean, this is just kind of off the cuff here. We talking about this, but is that like a fair kind of th- like like thought process and and thought experiment about like these three categories?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's. Probably the best way to to kind of you know separate the three categories, and the the good part is that you know there's room for growth in you know categories one and two, right? Like as you progress in life and make more money, you know you kind of work harder and you know your your budget on what you can what you can buy grows. You just move categories, right? And even in the last category, category three, like we said, which is you know Sotheby's or Christie's, you know the, the range there is huge. It's it's from five thousand to you know ninety thousand, let's say, or sixty thousand. So there's huge room for, and you can obviously buy multiple too. So there's kind of a never ending, you know, kind of sneaker addiction that people can, can, can get, which is the cool part. But yeah, I think that the good part is that there's so much room for growth in the secret market where, you know, when I was first selling sneakers, you know, I probably had, you know, five sneakers at, at, uh, five sneakers. I was walking around sneaker events cause I didn't, you know, have enough sneakers for a table. I progressed until, you know, now I have one table then two tables and then, oh no, I have three tables and then, okay, like maybe I can talk to the vendor and or, or the person hosting the show and kind of get like, you know, work with them and, you know, have bigger, better tables, fancier tables, stuff like that. You know, maybe, you know, then I got into, I'm just displaying some sneakers just for show, just to show, you know, some little kid there that, you know, here's the, you know, $20,000, you know, Jordan, whatever that I have to show off. But yeah, I think that the cool part about sneakers is really just there's room for everyone is, is the best part, right? If you can spend fifty dollars, there's room for you in the sneaker market. And if you can spend fifty thousand dollars, there's there's room for you and well for you too in the sneaker world.
0: This this makes me think about a category that we maybe haven't talked about as much, like let's say resellers and the resale market. And I know you were a reseller, particularly back back in the day. There's there's a there's a narrative that I hear from some folks and love to hear whether you agree with this or not is that reselling was easier. Let's say five, 10 years ago, you didn't need to be like a genius to resell. Just buy something retail, if you can get your hands on it, whether it's through like a sneaker bob, whether it's being lucky, whether it's through just showing up, like lining up to stores, getting access to, 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 to some hot product, and then just tomorrow flipping it because you know that the demand's so high, you can make pretty good profit margin. Now, what I've heard from some resellers now is that that's harder to just do because the amount of products that are kind of guaranteed, like a good flip, high profit margin, like the Travis Scott's of the world, that hype doesn't exist as as much as let's say five, 10 years ago, maybe novelties worn off, maybe just require there's less arbitrage opportunity because the market become more sophisticated. I, I guess my, my two questions based on that is one, is that a fair characterization of being a reseller and how that's changed over the last five to 10 years? And two, what are the factors that have contributed to that change and, and where do you see being a reseller if three to five years from now or like where, where you see that evolving?
1: Yeah, so I think that definitely sneaker reselling has has changed. It used to be easier to kind of resell sneakers. It used to be kind of as simple as, you know, wake up at 10 a.m. or hopefully you're up before that, but you know, go with the sneakers up at 10 a.m. and do the winded sneaker. And if you win, you can, you know, sell it and make 60 bucks. And if you lose don't worry, you kind of have a net Saturday for another opportunity to make another 60 bucks, you know, resell the sneaker. Um, obviously, COVID was a big portion of that with, you know, supply chain um, problems. Um, you know, sneakers were, were, it was easy to resell sneakers. I think the hard part now is obviously that, and why we exist, is that it's, it's pretty hard to do it yourself. Like, you really need to be like in the know and deep into the culture to understand not only when a sneaker is going to be worth it to even buy for retail, But also, like when a sneaker is also good to buy the secondary market, right? So, a big portion of what we do is there's a difference between sneaker resellers and sneaker investors, right? So, sneaker resellers, kind of, you know, will try to buy pairs of retail, flip them right away, and kind of make their money by you know a constant turnover of inventory, constantly buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. Sneaker investors like us, which are more the buy and hold strategy, which obviously a lot of sneaker resellers do, really revolves around. I'm fine paying the secondary pricing because I know that, or, you know, our model is suggesting that the sneakers is going go up 20%. Um, and the good part, like we said before, is that it's easier for us to buy a hundred pairs at market pricing than it is to buy one pair for a steal, right? So with us, it's, the beauty is that it's 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 easy, right? It's it's super easy. The hard part is obviously, you know, which hundred pairs do you buy? Or, you know, what skew do you buy and you buy a hundred pairs of it? definitely sneaker reselling has has changed a lot in the near future i probably do see some sneaker resellers probably leaving the game just because it's not as easy to just make money and i guess overall there's you know there's there's pros and cons to it the pro is that um more people are into sneakers you know when there's everyone is sneaker reselling but obviously there's less money to be made if everyone is doing the same thing so i think that you know Nike and Jordan sneaker resellers in the public, you know, usually kind of find some middle ground where there's sneakers that, you know, are available to everyone. There's sneakers that are limited to everyone. And there is like a, a, a middle ground where there's always going to be sneakers. Travis Scott's, you know, reselling for $1,000 plus. Maybe last year it was $1,300. But still the good part about, you know, investing is like, whether your sneaker goes from 100 to 120 Or four hundred to 480, 20% is still 20%. And there's still money to be made, you know, you know, in the arbitrage opportunity.
0: What what's your take on, let's say, trends amongst brands, right? Because I think, and this is this is when people think about sneaker resale, I think probably like Air Jordan ones is like the the silhouette that they think about the most as like the prototypical hype sneaker. But if you look at things like, you know, StockX puts out these reports on fastest growing shoes. Um like and 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 generally speaking, there's this sort of narrative around like new balance Solomon Hoka on like as up and coming brands, which you know five years ago were barely thought about as like like hot sneaker resale products, even like Crocs and stuff you know and and I do know that that doesn't mean they're gonna take over Nike market share for sure Nike's still like and and adidas to a lesser extent, you know obviously Yeezy's changed things up for them, but do you see the sort of breakdown of brands? changing do you think that the things are trending towards the direction where there's less nike dominance is this just a blip in the radar and nike's gonna kind of always be the the biggest hottest shoe brand what's your take on that because i'm sure you're like you know looking into this fairly regularly
1: yeah so obviously we you know we're looking deep into you know what brands are you know kind of up and coming like the hokas you know the running shoes are really taking off a lot even new is seeing a resurgence and you know in in resale and you know uh, price appreciation, um, I think competition is good, right? So I think that it's good that, you know, every brand, you know, is looking at other brands saying, you know, what can we do to, you know, to gain more market share? I think competition is always good for, you know, for brands. I think that's good that Nike, you know, is probably, you know, losing some money to Hoka and, you know, and, or New Balance or, or even Adidas or, or, you know, whoever, whoever, whoever comes up next. I think to answer your question, though, the the hard part is that for us is there's not enough obviously data or kind of history to show that these brands are going to stick around for the next you know, 60 years. Like, you know, Nike has been around for years now. But I think that it just shows that the sneaker world is, is still growing and that people are also willing to pay above retail. It's becoming more and more regular. I think if you ask someone 10 years ago or even five years ago, even now for some people that you paid above retail for a sneaker, I don't think that that sentence has ever been said to them. I don't even know if they would know how to respond to that. But now as, you know, marketplaces, online marketplaces become more and more popular, you know, paying above retail for a sneaker is pretty normal now. I saw a recent study that said that, you know, some ridiculous percentage of people in their, their twenties have paid above retail for a sneaker. And if I told my mom or grandma that they'd probably have a heart attack and, you know, like, what do you mean beta over retail? I'm like, mom, this is, this is what I do, right? Um, But I think that's that's the good part is like with seeing brands, you know, really shoot up on, on marketplaces is that people are becoming more and more used to paying above retailer sneakers. Do,
0: do you think brands, how do they reconcile that relationship? Because, you know, like, there's always like lip service paid where Nike or Adidas says like, hey, or any other brands, we don't want just resellers to be the only people buying our shoes. And uh, they try to like, you know take put put measures in place to make more like equitable like accessible like drops do you think that brands look at the fact that there's profit margin on secondary markets that they don't have access to as like a good thing it's totally like maybe a bad thing is it something they want to get into if you're like a Nike exec right now do you think like this is all cool like this is just good for us or how do you think about the, the brand's feelings about this. Yeah,
1: I think that Nike and big brands like that, I think that they do. I think that it's, uh, th- I guess there's to answer the first part of your question, I think that, you know, obviously I think that there should be a fair opportunity for everyone to kind of have a chance at retail and have like a fighting chance, you know, at the retail. Obviously past, once it's off Nike, you know, Nike, you know, can't really control you know, how much the sneaker resells for another marketplace. But definitely I think that, you know, Nike has made strides to, you know, make, sneakers as available as they can, you know, directly from Nike sneakers up. And I think they've done an, an okay job. Obviously, you know, I guess if you haven't won Nike sneakers, you know, raffle in two years, you probably disagree. And, you know, I've, I've very rarely have won on Nike too, but, but my friends have won and people I know have won. And I think as long as some guy isn't winning, you know, a thousand pairs on Nike, you know, or a hundred pairs, then it, it's, it's fair enough. And I think that Nike, I think Nike needs, you know, See resellers the same way that you know Ferrari needs. You know you can't just go out and buy like a Ferrari, a brand new Ferrari. Right? You need some kind of track record with Ferrari to buy certain Ferraris or a Porsche. Right? You can't just go out and buy you know the latest and greatest Porsche because in the same way there's you know arbitrage opportunities where you know paying sticker for a Ferrari is unheard of unless you have five Ferraris ready. Paying sticker for a certain Porsche is unheard of unless you have bought you know five Porsche four Porsches in the past. So I think that Nike likes that as, let's say, like a, say like a Mocha one, right? Resells for in the the 500s. But if you can't afford the Mocha one, they just put out a recent Jordan one that's pretty similar colorway to the, to the Mocha one that was, you know, pretty much available for anyone who wants it. So Nike definitely allows people to kind of enter the market to where they see fit. And I think that if you're a Nike exec, I'm sure that they have meetings on meetings on, you know, how do we both how resellers love us and hate us enough and want to work with us enough. I, I don't know if I want to be on that on that board just yet. But yeah, I think that, that Nike enjoys resellers and, and needs them.
0: Josh, you talked about so many things and I think we could keep chatting for like a long time. But I want to ask you, is there something we haven't covered that like you're really excited about in the world of like sneakers or even like the intersection of sneakers and finance? Always just curious to know like, what are some things that are on your mind that maybe we haven't touched on so far?
1: Yeah, I think that the the only thing really on my mind that we haven't touched on so far is probably, probably, let's see, I think just the ease of of use, you know, for our platform, right? Um, I think that, you know, a big question we get a lot is I don't know anything about sneakers and I'm kind of afraid to invest in something that I don't know about, which is a perfectly valid, you know, kind of question that, you know, some investors have, you know, have years of experience in other, in other asset classes and other commodities. I think that if people give us, you know, kind of give me the opportunity to, you know, teach you about sneakers. And I think you'd be surprised that there's a huge, you know, kind of, you know, crossover with other commodities where it's not really that different. It's, it's a collectible. And people probably don't realize that if they asked around that they probably know some sneaker resellers probably. I wouldn't be surprised, like to all of our friends, like, oh yeah, like it turns out that my husband has five pairs of Jordans in the closet that I didn't know about. And it also turns out that he bought them for $170 and now they're worth $500 each. So without knowing it, you've been a sneaker reseller, sneaker investor without knowing it. So I think that's definitely a point I wanted to like, hit across. And also just that, you know, there's a difference between sneaker resellers and sneaker investors. And we're more of the buy and hold strategy when it comes to Sneaker investing,
0: Josh, I look forward to seeing where you guys end up and following the journey of Always Legit. I'd love to close with the same like last two questions for each guest. First being, you know, where can people find you, the company on social media, whatever website, et cetera. Second question being what's like one last message you'd like to leave with the audience?
1: Yeah, so definitely. So it's alwayslegit.com. It's alwayslegit.ny on Instagram. Just type in Legit, and you'll be able to find us on wherever LinkedIn, you know, TikTok, Twitter, all the above. And really, I think the simple message for, you know, a last word is what we really say consistently is, you know, sneakers are an asset class. And I think that sentence alone, you know, tells a story and also opens up the door for, you know, your own or the viewers, you know, own kind of research and kind of, you know, opportunity to really dive into the market a little bit, you know, type in sneakers are an asset class on Google and, you know, read the Cowan & Co report on it. And I think that people will be pretty surprised at how big the market is and where the opportunity to make money investing in sneakers exists.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for the time, Josh. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at NewStreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.